Hallelujah. Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of John, chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. And we're going to talk about doubting Thomas a little bit today. Um, have you ever struggled with your faith, ever doubted, um, and sometimes questioned your decisions to even serve Christ? Um, have you found yourself at times overcome by fear and anxiety? Uh, wondering whether you're where you should be, doing, should be doing what you're doing, and just questioning your faith, questioning your God, questioning yourself and your relationship with him. Well, that's where the disciples were, uh, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. That's where they were on that Sunday morning, that the day we celebrate in what people call all over the world Easter, this resurrection day. That first resurrection morning when Jesus got out of the grave, that day the disciples were asking a lot of questions. They were struggling with their faith, wondering whether they had made the right decision. Many of them, they were disappointed and fearful. And that's the context in which this passage appears. Then the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Amen. We are celebrating the most important day, the most important um, event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus means more to you and more to this human beings than anything else. Your eternal destiny hangs on the truthfulness of the resurrection. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the grave, you are still in your sins. If Jesus Christ did rise and you have not believed on his death, burial, and resurrection, you are still in your sins, and, and all you have to look forward to is eternal damnation because it is only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that can deliver us from the wrath of God against sin. That's why we proclaim today Christ is risen, and you said risen indeed because we understand how significant that event is for our own future and for our destiny. One more time, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. I got some friends on Facebook, all that friends that I went to school with in the, in the 60s and in the 70s, elementary, high school friends that we've rediscovered through Facebook. And not all of them are Christians. In fact, most of them are not. And um, recently in one of their posts, um, uh, one of these friends of mine was criticizing the Bible for saying that homosexuality is not natural. And uh, she said, from a book that teaches that dead men rise, from a book that teaches that um, a virgin had a, had a, had a baby, uh, from a book that teaches these kinds of things, we hear that homosexuality is not natural. So she was saying that the Bible lacks the authority and the credibility 
because it's full of fairy tales. And how can a book that is full of fairy tales and a religion that is based on fairy tales speak with any authority about whether homosexuality is natural or not? And then you had a lot of friends that were agreeing with her. I, I read that, I felt so sad. Sad for her and sad for those who were mocking the Bible, mocking Christianity, mocking the resurrection. Because I know he arose. That's <laughs> no fairy tale. And I also know if they don't believe that, they have no hope that future is doomed because only he that believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, will be saved. So pray for people. There are many you probably know who have the same type of sentiments. Some of them might even identify themselves as Christians because there are many now who identify themselves as Christians but that question the authority of the Bible and the authenticity and the inspiration of Scripture. But here at Harvest, we declare the Bible is the infallible, inspired, inerrant Word of God. And when the Bible speaks in matters of faith, the Bible speaks with authority, and you can... You can place your confidence in every word. When the Bible says Jesus arose, Jesus arose. And today as we look at this story, we will get to see that indeed our faith in the resurrection is based on historical facts. Absolutely. You know, they, they call our faith in God, when we say God created the world and, 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 and they call that fairy tale, the very people who say that in the beginning there was nothing, zero, and have dared to say that out of zero has come, so zero created something, zero created everything. You know, when I was in school, I learned that zero times infinity equals zero. So how come now zero has the capacity to produce? That is more of a fairy tale. Man, if you can believe that, all the miracles in the Bible should seem like nothing. No, my faith is based upon facts. And so we see in this passage, and again, for the sake of time, perhaps I should maybe just summarize. Jesus shows up on that very evening. This was Sunday. So he rose that morning, and that evening he showed up where the disciples were gathered. The scripture says, the first day of the week, say Sunday, when the doors were shut, say the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, says fear, came Jesus, hallelujah, and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. 
And so we have the disciples being afraid. And as a result of their fear, they were hiding from the Jews. And the door was shut. But the Bible says, even though the door was shut, Jesus came and stood in their midst. Listen to me. Jesus is omnipotent. He can enter through shut doors. He walks on raging seas. He stands in the midst of blazing fire. There's nothing he cannot do. And so he appeared. The door shut didn't stop him. But he appeared in their midst. Where did he appear? In their midst. The midst of who? The disciples, the believers, on what day? Sunday, gathered where? Together. What do you think they were doing? They were afraid, but they had gathered together still on this Sunday to worship, to pray, to encourage one another, to learn, to be strengthened on Sunday. Later on, we won't have the time to read the whole passage, but as you read the narrative, the Bible says Jesus appeared in the midst of them, and then the following Sunday, they gathered again. The door was shut, but they gathered again on the following Sunday to do what? Pray, worship, encourage one another, learn together. And once again, Jesus appeared. So on that Sunday, Jesus appeared. The following week, Sunday, when they gathered again, Jesus appeared and stood in their midst. What am I communicating? From Sunday to Sunday, he could have appeared to them individually. He could have ministered to them individually, but he didn't do that. He waited for them to gather together on that Sunday. He showed up, stood in their midst, and then waited until they gathered again the next Sunday to show up in their midst and minister to them at a time when they needed him to minister to them because they were discouraged, they were down, they were confused. I'm saying this because I want to emphasize for you today the importance of two things. One, of the believers gathering together. And I need to say this because we've been in this period of this pandemic now for over a year, and many of us may be tempted to continue the habit of simply staying home, even though you can't come back and gather with the believers. Don't make that mistake. The Bible doesn't tell us why he didn't minister to them individually and separately in their homes during the week. And he certainly does that. But it does place the focus for a reason. Every word in this text is important. There's a reason the Bible said it was on the first day, Sunday. There's a reason he didn't choose to appear to them during the week individually. 
but waited until they got back together again the next Sunday to appear unto them in the midst and to minister to them. Yes, the Lord ministers to you individually. Yes, the Lord ministers to us privately. But church, if we're going to be faithful to Scripture, if we're going to be faithful to the pattern that God has given us, we are going to make it a priority to gather together on the first day of the week with one another for worship, for prayer, for word, in order to minister to and encourage each other. Your bedroom is not a substitute for the gathering of the body. This is the pattern that he has set before us. There's something that he chooses to do when we are together that he doesn't do for us when we're apart. Now you hear me. But I want you to see that when they gathered on that Easter Sunday and when they gathered a week later on the subsequent Sunday, each time they gathered, my goodness, he showed up and he stood in their midst. Church, he's here today. We are here just like they were gathered for worship, for word, to encourage one another. And guess what? I said, guess what? The resurrected one, the one who got out of the grave, who made it a priority to meet with his disciples, has made it a priority in every congregation where God's people are gathering today for worship, for word. He's present in the midst of the church, the gathered people of God. Christ shows up, and he can show up because he's resurrected. He can show up because he's alive. He can show up because he did not reign, remain in the grave. The grave could not hold him captive. He showed up. Thank God. He said, you see, but Bishop, I don't see him. Well, in this passage, the Bible says they saw him. And when they saw him, they were glad. They came downhearted. They came discouraged. They came confused. They came with a lot of questions. They were sad. But when they saw him, they were glad. But this is the point. Why did they become glad when they saw him? Because when they saw him, they became aware that he was in their midst. This ability to see him that day gave them the assurance that he was risen and he was in their midst. And so the gladness of heart they experienced was the result of being aware that he was in their midst and being assured that he was among them. It wasn't the fact that they saw him that made them glad. It was the fact that seeing him, they became assured 
that he was in their midst. They did not need to seek him to become glad. What was missing in their life was assurance. Because before they saw him, he was there. You didn't hear me. Before they saw him, he was already there. Their seeing him didn't make him more there than he, he was there before. He was already risen. Their seeing him didn't cause him to rise. Their seeing him didn't cause him to show up. Their seeing him didn't cause him to stand. He was already in their midst standing up. What was missing was the assurance of his presence. And that is why it's missing for many of us. And the reason we're sad the reason we're questioning, the reason we're full of fear and we're afraid of what might happen, so we're hiding behind shut doors, is because we lack the assurance that he who is risen is present in our midst with us. And we don't need to see him with our eyes or experiencing with our senses. We need to be assured that he's risen and is in our midst because he said so. And that is the faith that will cause us to experience the joy and the power of the resurrection. No longer requiring like the disciples that they must see, no longer demanding like Thomas that he must touch, he must see, he must handle, he has to experience physically the reality of the resurrected Christ to believe. No! What God is looking for are people who will believe? And who are assured that he is risen? He is in our midst. He is here because he said so. And the more we can believe and be assured just because he said so, the more we can experience the joy and the peace and the power and the victory of the resurrection. May God grant us not physical sight, but may God grant us the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened so that with our eyes or faith we can grasp the reality of the resurrected Savior who every time we come together stands in the midst of us and who comes to meet with us because he loves us, he cares for us, and he understands we need his presence.
You may not be feeling him right now in your life. You may not be sensing him. You may not be observing any evidence in your life right now that Christ is with you. But I've come today in his name to let you know he is here. He is with you. In your circumstance, as you struggle, as you, as you deal with those emotions that seem to be going everywhere, as you, as you deal with discouragement or uh, even depression, I want you to hear me. Christ is risen. And Christ is with you. He was with them before they saw him. And their seeing him didn't bring him. He didn't become more with them after they saw him. You don't need to see him. You just need to be assured that he who promised that he would be with you always is with you. Always. Because he is resurrected. You never have to face one more crisis by yourself. They were hiding because they were afraid. I don't know what your fears might be. But I pray for you that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. That you would know the hope of his calling. That you would know the exceeding greatness of his power unto you. That you would know his love for you that passeth all understanding. It is that love that caused him when he got up on Easter to make it his business to find his disciples. Because he knew they needed him. And he didn't allow the shut doors to keep him out. He found them. Now, among those disciples was one called Thomas. Thomas, unfortunately, has earned, or I don't know whether he earned, but people have chosen to identify him as doubting Thomas. And it is this incident that happened in this passage in John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19, that caused people to begin to call him Doubting Thomas. It's, I saw that. I said it sounded like, like uh, Crooked Hillary and, and uh, uh, Lying Ted. And, you know, you take these names and you kind of attach it to someone. And it sticks. And sometimes some people, I guess, deserve it, but not always. All right? Thomas... We have taken this name, Doubting, and we have attached it to him. So every time you hear the name Thomas, you hear Doubting Thomas. But this wasn't all that Thomas did. If you were to look in John chapter 11, when Jesus was about to go to Bethany, Thomas and his disciples knew how dangerous that trip was. They knew that Jesus could be killed. They tried to persuade Jesus not to go, but it, Jesus intended to go. And when it became clear to Thomas, that Jesus was going to go to Bethany and possibly be killed. 
Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let's go. We're going to go with him. If he dies, we'll die with him. So here's a man who, who was passionate about his relationship with God and was extremely committed to Christ, prepared to die for Jesus. Now, even in this passage, he begins with doubt, what I call debilitating doubt. But by the time the story is over, he moves, he moves from a place of debilitating doubt to flawless faith. It is Thomas who gets on his knees and says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. No one up to this time had so clearly, so powerfully, so boldly, so confidently declared that Jesus was not only the Messiah. Jesus was not only the Son of God, which doesn't necessarily mean he's divine in the Jewish theology. No one has so boldly proclaimed that this resurrected Savior, this man that we have come to worship today, is not just a man. Is not just a prophet. My goodness, is not just a miracle worker. That this man is not just a messenger from God, but this man we call Jesus who they hung on the cross, this man we call Jesus, who spent three days in the grave, this man we call Jesus, who on Sunday morning got up, this man is not just another man. This man, clothed in human flesh, is God. Worthy of worship and praise and total and complete Allegiance. Thomas was the first recorded. Yeah, Peter has said sometime before, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But it's clear Peter didn't even fully understand what he was saying. Because shortly thereafter, he called Jesus aside and rebuked Jesus. And then shortly thereafter, he denied Jesus. So he did not have a full revelation. Even when he was saying son of the living God, Again, the term son of God was used to refer to the Messiah. Peter did not have the revelation. So this man we call Doubting Thomas moved from his doubts to demonstrate what I'm calling flawless, fabulous, fantabulous faith. My Lord and my God. Come on, say it. My Lord and my God. Come on, say it. My Lord and my God. So he moved from doubt to faith. And so, if we're going to be fair to him, we ought not to just stick this label doubting Thomas. We ought to realize he didn't remain a doubter. He moved from doubt into faith. My Lord and my God. How did he get there? How did he get there? Well, remember, the disciples gathered together on what day? Uh -huh. On what day? Was that a practice? Was that their pattern? Was that the example God has given us in his word? Are we free to set another example or choose another pattern? Or are we going to follow the pattern that is in the word? 
They gather for worship, for word, for fellowship. They encourage one another on that Sunday. But guess who was missing? Thomas. That first Easter Sunday, Thomas wasn't there. Judas had killed himself. The other 10 disciples were there. And the Bible says there were some other disciples there with him, other people. So we don't know how many were there. But Thomas wasn't there. Don't know why he wasn't there, but he wasn't there. Maybe he decided to stay home that day. You know, maybe he thought it wasn't safe. Because, you know, they were afraid of the Jews, right? So he's running, he's hiding. Maybe he figured the best thing to do is not to be among everybody to kind of just separate myself, right? We don't know why he wasn't there, but even though he wasn't there, Jesus showed up. And Jesus showed up to minister to all who were present. Had Thomas been there, Jesus would have ministered to him. The encouragement he needed, the strength he needed, what Jesus had designed to minister to his body that day, had Thomas been there, he would have received it. But because he wasn't there for whatever reason, whether it was good or bad, he wasn't there. Jesus showed up. Jesus ministered to those who were there. And Thomas did not receive the ministry from Jesus that Jesus had determined to take place that day in that service among his people. And because Thomas wasn't there, he missed that special moment when Jesus literally made himself known, when he, when he, when he revealed his presence physically. Jesus doesn't do that often. So this was a very, 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 very rare thing Jesus did. It didn't happen every time they got together. Every time they got together on Sunday or they got together to worship, Jesus expected them to believe he was there by faith. But on this particular occasion, he chose to literally allow them to see his presence. Wow, Thomas missed that because he didn't make it a priority that day for whatever reason to gather together with the other disciples. And so, of course, after church, the disciples found him wherever he was, and they told him what he had missed. He said, Thomas, you are not there. But Jesus showed up. He is risen, just like he said. He's not dead. He's alive. What Mary had told us is true. Christ showed up. We saw him. We saw him. He's alive. Thomas said, but true? Is that so? Listen to me, guys. Unless I see him for myself, and that's not enough. You, you all say you saw him. You didn't tell me you touched him. Me? I'm going to have to see. Oh, oh, I'm telling you, this is not a fairy tale. Those people who say that this thing is a fairy tale don't know what they're talking about. These were not men who were ready to believe this stuff because they knew believing this thing can get us killed. Believing this stuff will get us in prison. If we continue to believe this stuff, we're not going to have an opportunity to reconnect with our families and our community. Thomas said, me? <laughs> I am not going to believe. I don't care who tells me. I must see with my eyes. And I'm not even going to believe my eyes this time. 
In addition to seeing, I must put my hands in the scars in his hands and in his side. Only after I've seen with my own eyes and I've touched him with these hands will I believe. So, you all, Now, how do those words strike you? You see, it's one thing to doubt. And we all struggle with doubt from time to time. We want to believe, but we're struggling. But Thomas is not a man that is struggling with doubt. Thomas is a man who is refusing to believe. Thomas said, no, 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 I am not going to give myself the permission to believe that again. He wasn't just doubting. He was saying, no, because he feels, listen to me, he feels he has been scammed. He feels he has been conned. He had followed Jesus for three years. Jesus had talked about the kingdom. He used, Thomas used to be a faithful Jew, observing all of the laws, trying to be righteous by the Lord. Jesus came and taught, and he now was no longer a faithful Jew, he had rejected a lot of things that he thought he needed to do to be righteous, listening to Jesus. And Jesus had been talking about this kingdom, and all they knew was that Jesus was the Messiah, and he was going to establish this great kingdom. He was going to deliver his people. That's what they knew. And so now Thomas had committed himself to Jesus totally, and here's this man who was supposed to be so great, so powerful, so awesome, who was supposed to be the Messiah, who was supposed to deliver our people, and there he is, he died on a cross. And we know anybody who dies on the cross is cursed, rejected by God. Thomas said, you know what? I can't do this again. I can't do this again. I've been scammed. I've been conned. I've been hurt. Not just once, but more than once. And I'm not prepared to put myself out there again. Only to be disappointed one more time. And discouraged one more time. And let down one more time. I am not prepared to believe this. For me to believe that God himself will have to come down. Thank God God did come down. You didn't hear me. I said, thank God, God did come down. Hallelujah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus showed up that next week and said, Thomas, you, I heard what you said. You said, you didn't know I was there because you didn't see me, but I was there when you were talking. That's why you got to be careful what you're saying because Jesus is always listening. <laughs> Hallelujah. You ought to be careful what you're talking because Jesus always listens. So why don't you speak the kind of words that will edify him, cause him to be, to be moved, amen, to bless you, to help you. He said, Thomas, I heard you talking doubt and unbelief. I heard you saying you're not prepared to trust me again. I heard you suggesting that I was a con. So here I am. You demanded God to show up. God is here. And you, you said you won't believe until you see my hands. Here are my hands. Come. I got, I got, come. Go ahead. Touch it if you want to. You see my side? 
Thomas saw him. I don't know if he still felt he needed to touch him. But he became all of that fear, all of that doubt, all of that questioning, all of that feeling disappointed, disappeared. And all Thomas could say was, wow, you really are alive. And you really are God. I don't know what you're going through, but one of these days you're going to see him. <laughs> and when you see him, all of those questions, all of those doubts, all of that stuff that you think makes sense to you will all of a sudden make you feel that you are such a fool to doubt this one. <laughs> Fairy tale? Please. Thomas wasn't prepared. to take another risk unless he was absolutely convinced that the man he saw die was alive. He wasn't going to put himself out there again and expose himself again to being hurt. And so he refused to believe until he was convinced beyond any doubt. Not even reasonable doubt, any doubt. That's another reason why Thomas was hesitant to believe. Because he understood once he believed, that believing would bring great responsibility. You see, you can't believe Jesus arose. You can't believe Jesus resurrected. You cannot believe that Jesus Christ is God who died for our sins and arose from the grave and is alive and is coming back again. You cannot believe that and not realize that with that faith and that reality comes great responsibility. Thomas understood that there will be a price to be paid to believe that. And he wasn't willing to continue to make those kind of sacrifices until he was absolutely convinced of the reality of Christ being raised from the dead. But once he came to know this Thomas understood the responsibility connected to that revelation. We know he went Proclaiming this message throughout the world, Thomas Wirtul ended up in India, and he was the one that God used to establish the church in India. And it was in India for this message, for this resurrected Lord, that Thomas paid the ultimate price, giving his physical life for Christ. Brethren, we who believe that he is not just the Messiah, 
but man and God. We who believe he's alive, we have a responsibility. We are a people on a mission. We are a people with a message. We are a people who are called and sent by him. Later on in the text, this is what Jesus said. He said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Huh? As the Father sent the Son, this is the pattern by which Jesus has sent us. So every single one of us who declare that he is risen, indeed, we have been sent by him. We are a people with a message to proclaim. We are a people with a mission to fulfill. We've got to let the whole world know this is not a fairy tale. Christ is risen indeed, and the eternal destiny of every man, woman, boy, and girl depends upon his resurrection and the decision they make to believe or not to believe. But how will they believe without a preacher? How will they believe if we don't tell them he's alive and he's alive indeed? We are people with a message and a people with a mission. As the Father sent him, he has sent us. Ah, but how did the Father send him? Full of the Holy Spirit. And so right after he says, as the Father has sent me, also I send you. The next thing he says was, now receive the Holy Spirit. He was sent, indwelled by the Spirit, enabled by the Spirit. Empowered by the Spirit to be the instrument in whom, by whom, and through whom the Spirit will work to accomplish the mission. Jesus didn't just come. He came accompanied by, indwelt by, empowered by the Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. You have a mission, you have a message, but you also have the same Spirit that raised me from the dead. Now I have breathed into you so that as you go forth, you go forth not alone. Never, never, never to be alone. Now, even as I, so are you, indwelled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, you have become the instruments by whom my Spirit will work to fulfill the very mission I have given unto you. Thomas, you believe because you saw, but blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. You and I are those who have not seen with our eyes, but yet we believe. And Jesus says concerning you and me, you are blessed. So now in the name of Jesus, Upon all of those who, though you have not seen, yet believe, I pronounce his blessing again upon you. Be blessed. Be empowered by his spirit in you to prosper. Be empowered by his spirit in you to succeed in all that you do. Be empowered 
by his spirit in you to overcome. Be empowered by his spirit in you to fulfill your purpose, your mission, and your assignment. Be empowered by the spirit of God in you to be all God has called you to be and to do all God has called you to do. No longer by your might, but by his power, his spirit living in you. You are a blessed people this morning. Every day, walk in the revelation of his presence. Now, lastly, because he has breathed into you his spirit, he no longer is just in heaven looking down. He is. He no longer is just in the midst of the church standing and ministering to us. He now indwells you by his spirit. So henceforth, acknowledge him who sits at the right hand of the Father looking down. Acknowledge him who stands in the midst of the church ministering. And acknowledge him who lives on the inside of you every day. There's a holy God living inside of you. God bless you.